0: great if it snows like December 24th and then it goes away like January 2nd and then we can just get nice and mild the rest of the way through. We much appreciate it. It's great to be here on this Sunday. It's awesome to be here and worship together as a church body. I've loved uh, my time here already and I can't wait to keep on this church body. It's such a family. It's such a pleasure and an honor to be here to worship together. So I pray that we will feel that as we come here together this morning service. We're not just here as a duty, but we're here Joyfully coming together around the gospel and pursuing Christ. So today we have uh, just a couple of uh, announcements as the Christmas season is upon us. And we have a lot of good things that are going on here at our church. Uh, we have, on the slides up here, we have a Christmas caroling that is t- uh, today at 6 o'clock. We're going to have dinner here. Come out and sing uh, as a family. It's great to come together as a family and go into the community and have your kids see you as you praise God together they see that, you know, mom and dad value this, and so that's something that they want to value. And I just, I pray that, and I hope this will be a good time of just enjoyment and fellowship, and also as we go and as we sing about God to the community that may not know him, that we'll be able to spread light to them. We also have our Christmas Eve service at 4 p.m. It'll be, obviously, on Christmas Eve, and we come out to that. It'll be a great service. I know Pastor Daniel and Pastor Jay great time together as a family to celebrate the Christmas season. And then uh, also, just to slip in, because I am the youth pastor, our, uh, our Christmas party for the teens is December 18th, 6 o'clock here at the church. We're going to do a little white elephant stuff, so please bring your kids, uh, bring bring your teens, they're not really kids anymore. Bring them out, it'll be a great time, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, we have a lot of the high schoolers that are planning this event, so they're very excited and they're doing all the decorations and stuff. So please bring your kids out, I love will have a great time. Go Dubai great Christmas uh, party is a time together as a youth group, and also we have, um, we have talked about it many times before, but I have learned that if someone tells you something a lot, it's probably important, it's at least what my mom told me when I was growing up, and, uh, and so we have these things here, these Christmas book handouts that we have talked about a lot, but it's because it's a very cool idea, a very cool concept, it's in a way for our church to reach out to those that are, that we know that don't go to church, our neighbors, that we interact with every day so it's a much more personal way to hand out something to them that says hey this is what i value this christmas season and this is what this christmas season means to me can we talk about this can we just sit sit down together as neighbors as friends and just talk about you know what this christmas season means to me in our culture that that's that's a way that you can reach this is this is what i believe people like to share their beliefs and, and that kind of stuff so it's good to just talk with them and say you know hey we have this for you we also have this for your kids. At our church, we value children's ministry. You can talk to them about that. These great Christmas gifts, these Christmas book giveaways that we can do. It's a great way to reach our community. So as we have these four steps up here, this is what we'll be able to do. So pray and decide who you will give it to. Really think about this person that you want to hand this to so it becomes personal. Um, and then pick up the gift today. We have these. They're out there. Uh, there's a big table. There's a sign-up sheet in a place to put your money really great. Julie did a great job wrapping all these up. I know she hates when I talk about her, but you need to appreciate it. This looks really nice and you know the pastors didn't do this, so please give her credit. And uh, So they look awesome. It's a great thing. And this is, uh, this is something that we will pray uh, that this will be a gift to give to someone that does not yet know Christ and through your testimony as a neighbor and as your testimony as a, as a believer in Christ, that they will come to see the light of the gospel. And then bring your whole family in on this. I know that teens will really see, you know, they'll become more real as their parents give this out and plan and talk and pray about you know, who can we give this to, who can we really be a blessing to this Christmas Eve? So I pray that you guys will do that. The, the, the tables out there, as I said, go out, grab one, and then, uh, and then be able to spread the light of Christ this Christmas Eve.
1: So as uh,
0: as we continue in our service, we are going to pray, and as we pray, I want to focus in our mind on, uh, on what I think a lot of what Scott Dunford came and preached about how the gospel comes into every single aspect of our life. So as, as I pray and as we pray together as a church, focus your mind and in on how the gospel can touch every single aspect of your life and how that needs to be something that takes over your life it kind of messes with the whole, you know, the American dream of comfortable and stuff like that. I think, Pastor, uh, that, uh, Scott Dunford did a great job last week. So as we pray, let's really focus in our hearts and our minds and how the gospel thank you so much for all the great gifts that you have given to us. Lord, in this Christmas season, it is a time where our entire culture, our entire world values the giving of gifts. And Lord, I pray that though this season it is great to be with family and the decorations and the music and all this, Lord, that we will remember the priorities in our life, Lord. The Christmas season comes and is a great season. Uh, but Lord, I pray that we will remember the most important gift that was given that day, Lord, and that was your son is coming to our world, Lord, to bring light to the darkness. And Lord, that he lived a perfect life and that he walked on this world with, with no similar than he came and died for our transgression. Lord, I pray that that will never be far from our minds as a church and as individuals and as families. That we will constantly be looking towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially at this Christmas season where we remember your son's birth on this earth. Lord, I pray that we will look every area of areas of our lives the way we work the way we interact with our family the way we talk the way that we dress the way we carry ourselves the way we act in public lord i pray that you will remind us that the gospel of jesus christ touches every single area of our lives lord i pray that when we go out into the public we will be a shining light or that we will show love as you have told us in your word that they will know that we are your disciples you will know and especially we will use the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ to bring bring your name to those who may not know. Lord, I pray that you will give all of us a newfound burden for the gospel, that you will help us all to recognize how important it is that this gospel is to each and every one of our lives. Lord, I pray that you will change our hearts, you will change our minds to go to what your word says for us, and that is to live a life that is worthy of Lord, as we go about this week and about this Christmas season, keep our minds focused on what is most important. Lord, help us to, to enjoy this season and to enjoy family. But, Lord, keep our eyes on you and the gospel of your son. Lord, I pray as we go throughout this service that our hearts and our minds will be focused on worshiping you, Lord, because you deserve all of the glory and all, all of our thanks and all of our worship forever. Lord, it is in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand again together. Before we take in the Lord's Supper, let's remember and rejoice in the truth of the love of the Father in giving His Son to take away our sins from us.
1: He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace, emptied Himself and came in love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, found out me. Amazing love. How can it be? This is a season where we pull up a chair or at least we walk up to counters and we eat our our favorite cookies, our favorite treats, our favorite meals, maybe our favorite beverages. There is nothing more rich, more edifying, and more satisfying than what we get to take part of right now. It's not in anything of this particular bread that we eat or in the juice that we drink in and of itself. But we are taking taking part in what was a meal. We call it the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. Jesus told us, he told all his followers after him, that they should regularly do this. And when they do this, they proclaim his death until he comes again. They remember his death in a way so that they are grateful and they, their faith in God is strengthened. Think about this. We don't just talk about God's death right now and his sacrifice and his forgiveness, and which all started in a unique way at Christmas. It started way before that when God made a promise in the Garden of Eden. And he said, I'm going I'm to come and make things right someday through the seed of the woman. But it, it came in a greater way at Christmas. Think about this. God tells us to take something in our hand that we literally eat and then put it in our mouth and eat it. And then drink something and use that to remember that Christ's body was broken and crushed for us. Jesus' blood was literally shed for my forgiveness and your forgiveness and everyone's forgiveness who, puts, who turn away from their sins, repudiate their own ability to have any righteousness in themselves, and cling to Jesus as their righteousness, as their forgiveness, as their passport to God and relationship to God. And Christmas is where it starts in a very unique way. John the Baptist was a special forerunner, proclaiming God's grace. And his father was given a prophecy, and he said this in the end of Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke 2. At least we should be in Luke 2 in this coming month as we think about Christmas. At the end of Luke 1, this is what John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed book of Ruth we are going to see redeemers pointing to the redeemer we are going to see a redeemer that is so relevant to your needs this Christmas and your neighbor's needs this Christmas a redeemer who comes and a redeemer for a redeemer to be necessary you needed to be in a real bad state you needed absolute free grace where somebody would at great cost your debt and free you that you may continue on your inheritance and your life and that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Every Sunday we come and celebrate that. But in, in a special and unique way we're going to do that with communion this morning. Who is communion for? You are invited to come to this table in just a couple minutes if you have been baptized into Christ and you are turning away from your sins and looking alone to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You should be part of a a local church and maybe you're in the process of finding that local church. You should be part of that local church and functioning. But I invite all of you to come if those things are true and God is at work in your life. Now, if, if say you're here this morning and you're seeking God and you're not sure where you are with God, uh, it's okay if you don't come up. We're we're glad you're here, and take this time to hear the message this morning. And God is, we believe that God will be and is at work in your life, and the fact that He even brought you here this morning. And so, what we're going to do is we're gonna we're gonna play a song, and we're gonna form two lines. If you're if you've been here for a while, you know this. We're gonna form two lines, and you're gonna come on up here, and you're gonna take. We'll have some deacons up here you'll take a piece of bread you'll take a cup and you'll go back and sit down and take the time to pray and to thank God for what He has done ask him to encourage you in the faith to strengthen your faith to believe in his promises if you, if sins come to your mind towards one another or or your attitude towards him would you confess those sins we do have gluten free bread here for those that are that, that would be a help to you as well we're going to we're going to thank God. We're going to celebrate and obey what God has called us to do in this community. So I'm going to have you stand. Well, let's all stand. We're going to play. At the end of this time, I'll lead you in taking up the bread and the juice. And so let's play and let's come. Jesus taught us this meal when he was at the last supper, we call it. The night he was betrayed. And, he, and before he broke it and gave it to his disciples, he blessed it. Pastor Jay, will you thank God for this meal that we've been given? Let's go before the Father's throne in prayer right now. Heavenly Father,
0: we thank you for giving your Son. Sending your only Son in flesh and blood.
1: As a baby. Flesh and blood that would be torn for us. Blood that would be poured out in love. We
0: thank you for this salvation. It is completely undeserved.
1: We thank you that you love unworthy sinners like us. So we partake in this in joy and gratitude to you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice given for us. Amen. This is what Zachariah said about the Savior. He will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God whereby the Son shall Visit us from the on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness. Aren't you glad? And in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's take and eat and drink. We respond in gratitude. We we respond in gratitude through song and through giving. Well, we have a normal offering at the end of the service this morning. We're going to take the grace fund offering that goes to those who have needs within the body and outside of the body as we show mercy to people. And so we're going to take an offering, pass your cups to the middle, and we're going to sing as well. join me by looking at the book of Ruth. Ruth is found in the Old Testament. It's the eighth book in the Bible. It's a small little book after the book of Judges. It takes place during the time of the Judges. We're going to look at Ruth this month, and we're going to look at especially Ruth 1 this morning. Several centuries ago, a hymnist put together a, a, a hymn, a poem, in which he expressed what all of us have experienced in different ways. And what we experience as we read the Scriptures, if we do not see the end of the Scriptures, and we do not see yet what God's doing, he expressed that. This was a man who struggled with depression. He was almost suicidal at times. He, he would call out to his pastor friend. John Newton was his pastor friend who wrote Amazing Grace. And he would go to John Newton for help and comfort and encouragement. He penned these words. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind the frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes shall ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. I know that I stand here in a sanctuary in a room with people that have experienced all types of pain and suffering some more than others some very little for some the most might have been a sports injury for some it may have been the frustration of being slighted at work but for some it is The bereavement of a spouse, of a close family member. Some it's chronic back pain and long-term head injury effect or a special needs problem that took place that, that has impacted the family from birth and has changed everything or broken dreams or a broken marriage or financial stress and anxiety or anger or angry and bitter children that are grown up, or aging and dementia, neurological disease, or chronic pain, fibromyalgia, loss of children and early death, an unbelieving spouse, or wayward, unbelieving and rebellious children, or family members that are just antagonistic, and Christmas just brings you to memory of that, or a stressful, futile work condition, or the fear of what could happen Will that cancer come back? Or spiritual and emotional pain from past churches and past pastors. Or dealing with personal and family mental issues. Or dealing with insomnia. I mean, it doesn't end. There might be smaller things that you feel right now. Like vacations plans cancel because of illness. Or your car breaking down. Or the bank making mistake. Or the wash machine breaking down at the worst time. Or a fridge or a freezer going out. Or you tear your dress or wreck your jacket on the way out to church or your class notes were stolen or your purse was stolen. We live in a world where there is suffering as sparks fly upward, says the author of Ecclesiastes. And this morning and this month, we are going to enter into the Christmas season with a A book of the Bible where God is writing a beautiful story, a story that actually happened, a story that God had. We don't know who the author, the literal author of this was, that penned these words down, but wrote these words down for your faith and my faith, that we may trust in the living God and put our hope in Him this Christmas. We're going to see a story... that that really sends us into Bethlehem. It literally does. We know what Bethlehem means, and when we think of Bethlehem, we think of a manger. We think of no room in the inn. We think of Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. But here we have a story in Bethlehem. We have a courage of an unmarried woman We have the courage and faithfulness of a man towards that woman. We have dark circumstances, and we have God bringing a Redeemer. Doesn't that sound like Christmas? We have that in the book of Ruth. But let's ask God to help us see what he wants us to see. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would come and you would bring blessing and grace. And eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts to rejoice, and truth these truths to cling to, I pray for those that are hurting this morning, maybe from the loss of a wife or a loss of a husband, or the, the, the disillusionment of a relationship or a pain in physical. Just, just the physical pain of suffering and sickness or emotion. God, I pray this morning you'd bring grace. For those that are not in that situation, instead are in a good station physically and emotionally right now, I pray that you'd bring compassion and a building up of the sovereignty of God in our minds and hearts so when those things come, we are prepared. But I pray, God, that you would so unite us as a church to cling to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Ruth is a love story. It is a beautiful work of literature with an even more beautiful It is a story of friendship and of loyalty, of courage and of action, of tragedy and triumph, of loss and gain, of suspense and joy. It is the story of a family during the time of the judges. God's people were in the land, but were in rebellion to God. The kings hadn't come yet. They cry out for a king someday, but they don't have one yet. A Hebrew family in Bethlehem, they leave their home because of a famine, and they go to the pagan land of Moab, where when they get there, after a period of time, the head of that family, Elimelech, dies in Moab. We don't know why he went to Moab. It could be that he went... We we know why he went to Moab. We don't know his spiritual condition going to Moab. He could have gone out of rebellion and not trusting in God, and he went there because he was fleeing to try to figure things out, or he might have gone in faith. We don't know that. Then his two sons marry Moabite wives. The sons die, leaving the surviving family member, Naomi, the wife of Elimelech, with two Gentile Moabite daughter-in-laws who are Able to bear children for over ten years. Naomi is now without a husband and without sons to carry on the name, without land or hope, home or hope. She is absolutely empty. She is the one the name, her name, Naomi, means pleasant or sweetness. But instead she insists that her friends call her Mara. Or bitterness. She knows God has done this because God's in control of all things. Just like Job knew that God was in charge of even his suffering, even though he allowed Satan to do it. And she is the desolate one. You know what desolate means? It means deserted of people and in the state of bleak and dismal emptiness. But Naomi is going to experience Grace that Isaiah prophesied years later in Isaiah 54.1 about something greater when he wrote, sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of he who is married, says the Lord. Because God comes and he does something great. God visits Bethlehem in this story. He gives land. He gives the land food again. And she returns to her homeland. Although she feels she's alone, she's not alone. Her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth clings to her. In a deep act of loyalty or kindness or Hasid, and faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, Ruth leaves her homeland, leaves her opportunity to remarry, leaves the security of home, the security of family, and she makes Naomi's home her home. She makes Naomi's God her God. Over the course of four chapters, we find Naomi going at chapter one, returning to Bethlehem, and the women of the city... We find we find it the chapter one, the women saying something, chapter four, the women saying something. They're they're giving us commentary on the status of Naomi. Because although this book is called Ruth, Naomi becomes a central figure in this of what God's happening in the life of Naomi. And in chapter one, we find Naomi, the women, going, Who is this? Naomi? Is this is this pleasantness? Is this sweetness? She has nothing. She's lost everything. She she has everything that culture of a traditional culture would value. She doesn't have. She has no husband, no ability to carry on the name, no means in order economically to survive. What is she going to do? And in chapter 4, the women say about her, this Naomi has a daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is greater than to her than seven sons? It is. We're going to look through the next four weeks about the significance of some of these things that is said in this chapter. The storytelling is great. There's 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 cultural indicators throughout here that go, wow, this this is significant. As we, I hope we'll see here. But what happens here is with Naomi, we find. Coming into this story, we find redeemers. You see, Naomi lost everything, and she needed a redeemer, and she's given a redeemer. There are at least four redeemers in this book, sh- this small book. There are four redeemers. They're all centered around the redeemer, God. God is one of them, and God brings three redeemers in the story that we're going to have to see throughout these chapters. We see one of them very clearly this morning. A redeemer was a goel. That's what that word means. Go out a family member close enough to pay off the family's debt and provide a way for the family to carry on the name and the legacy within the land. And with Naomi, she needed money and a man. But the problem was, if she had money and a man, that wasn't enough because she needed to carry on the offspring, the line, in order to carry on both to be able to pay pay for her debt that... Her husband had, which was implied, and to carry on the seed and continue on the lineage of her family, because she was too old to bear children. She told Ruth that in chapter 1, that she needs a special redeemer. God brings a man, God brings Ruth, and God brings a son, we're going to see. But this is no ordinary son. He will be the father of Jesse. ...who will have many sons, the youngest being David. David will be the anointed king of Israel, the redeemer of his people, who will carry on the lineage to the great king, the great king of kings, the great redeemer of the world, who redeems his people from their sins. This is a glorious story. I want to look at chapter 1 this morning. I want to bring some things out, and I pray that our hearts would just cling to the gospel. I want us to say this is the gospel according to Ruth. This is the gospel. I've entitled this sermon. I've entitled this sermon uh, or the series, The Oft-Hidden but Continuous Love of God. Because have you seen that? Often in our lives, the love of God is often hidden to our eyes. We don't see it clearly. It's like it's veiled in front of us. It's like there's a frowning providence There's frowning circumstances, it just looks bad, but as the hymnist says, there's a smiling face coming behind. God is at work, he knows, he's working all things together for good to those who love him. He is at work, but we do not see it, and it is excruciating. Let's look at at Ruth chapter 1, you can look at, your handout should have it, We'll also have the slide up here. I'm going to read Ruth chapter 1 and I'm just going to bring up some observations and then apply it and we'll close. In the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion and they were Ephraites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malam and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law, returned from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the fields of Moab, that the, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to his own, her own mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me dead and with me the lord grant that you may find rest each of you in his house of his husband her husband then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept and they said to her no we will return to your people but naomi said turn back my daughters why will you go with me have i yet sons in my womb that they may Become your husband. Turn back, my daughter-in-law. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, no, my daughters. For it is exceeding bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has done out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to your people, her people, and to her gods. Return also after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you. Or to return from following. And we find this in, in, in many weddings. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and where there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on their way until until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. What I want us to see here, just for a few minutes, I want you to see, first of all, what's happening in this chapter. Next week, we'll look at chapter 2 more closely. What we find here is we find in verses 1 through 5, we find the misery of Naomi. You got it? Famine at home, she goes with her family. I mean, why do you immigrate, or why are you a refugee? You go because you think you're going to have it better somewhere else. So she goes to, to Moab. This is the land of where the Sodom, where those from Sodom, especially Lot, the one of Lot's daughters who had offspring from Lot in incest, she, they started this nation and this tribe called the Moabites. This is the people that God said in Deuteronomy 23 that no Ammonite and no Moabite will be able to enter into the presence of the sanctuary, to the tenth generation. These are not godly people. And they go to Moab. They go to Moab, and at some time, her husband Elimelech dies. A little later, after her sons had been married for ten years to Moabite women who, at least in Jewish law, they shouldn't have done. And for 10 years, they're not able to have children and the sons die. Naomi's in misery. Are you depressed yet? Number two, we see the despair of Naomi, naturally. She she seeks... To persuade her and daughter-in-laws, don't enter into my misery. Don't the Lord's dealt bitterly with me. Why do you want to go with me now? You need to go back to your home. You need to go back to your land. You need to go back to it. I am and you see the misery because she's saying things. She's saying, go back to your gods. And I, I do believe Naomi was a believer. She was had faith in this God because of some things that are going to come out later on with Ruth's attitude towards Naomi. But at this moment, she's not herself, and she's—and that's what happens when we're in pain and we're in misery. We find the despair of Naomi. She's persuading her daughter-in-law to stay in Moab, even though she knows at a human level it'll be better in Moab. She says, you you just stay there. Don't follow me. She emphasizes in this, we find her hopelessness. We find her despair. She says, "I the God has brought calamity upon me. Don't call me... Pleasant in any way, shape, or form. Call me bitter. You feel that in your life right now? Have you felt that in your life? Despair? Where just circumstances in your life have brought a bitter pill? Does the bud have a bitter taste? God says, we are going to see in this that sweet will be the flower. But not yet. Not yet for Naomi. Naomi is in pain. And she tells her daughter in laws, Go, I am going back. I'm going back alone because I have nothing. My body is dead and that I can't bring forth more offspring. Because that's the only way she could imagine that God could use to carry on the line of her husband. Which was very important, especially in traditional culture. And thirdly, we see the loyalty of Ruth. Ruth insists on sticking with Naomi and on sticking with Naomi's God. And in this chapter, we find the first signs of a redeemer. We find Ruth who says, no, mom, I'm not going to my mother's house, my biological mother's house. Even though there is where I have hope of getting another husband, I have no hope of getting another husband with going with Ruth. I am going go I am not going to go back to my homeland because even though at my homeland I'll have a home, I'll have a house, I'll have family, I'll have an opportunity for provision and security and all of those things. I'm not going to do that. I am going and I'm going to cling to you, Naomi. And we find out why in chapter two in a clearer way about what's going on in her heart. But here we find absolute devotion and loyalty to Ruth, but even more important to God. At some point in Ruth's life, Naomi and Elimelech, or or Ruth's husband, rubbed off on her and impacted her in such a way that she said, I will follow the God of my husband and my mother-in-law. And I will... I will abandon all of this with the promise of nothing good here because I want this God. I want this God. And we find Ruth absolutely loyal to Naomi and to God. And she declares that when she says, your land will be my land. I'll be buried with you. If you where you die, I will die. And may God curse me if anything but death separates us. I am am laying it all out. Absolute devotion. And lastly, we see the return to Bethlehem. Verses 19 through 20, they come. The people are shocked at Naomi's loss. Naomi's full of this despair and bitterness. She, She expresses it out loud. But there's a ray of sunshine. Just a little one. There's a ray of sunlight shining through this chapter. There's a ray of sunlight, of light in the midst of Naomi's darkness. Naomi doesn't see it yet, but we, as the readers of a story that in one sitting can read all four chapters, we could go, hey, Naomi, if if we could say, just hope in God. uh, Yes, there's a frowning providence. Behind a frowning providence, God is hiding his smiling face. If you just hold on a little longer, you're going to see it. We get little clues of it at the end of this chapter. One, we get it, first of all, by the loyalty. She's not empty. Even though in that culture, having a daughter-in-law who was barren and hadn't bore any children, that's empty in her mind. Yeah, I have Ruth, but that's, that's all I have. That's what often darkness allows us to see. We don't see the good that's coming. And that's just we 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 just feel that despair. But we find in the last phrase of this chapter a foreshadowing of grace to come. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This means it's probably in the month of April. Of April was when barley harvest was, t- time was coming, and she just got there in time. And we're going to find out what happens at barley harvest next week. You already know if you've read the story. I already gave you a little bit of it, but I didn't tell you all the plot that takes place in this. But what I want you to see in here, I want you to see two real important things here. This is important for all God's people to hear. Because all God's people live in a world that Ruth lives in, in some degree or another. We live in a world... That's after the fall of man, and therefore sin and corruption has come into this world. And it's before the final redeeming of this world where God wipes away all our tears. And we live where there is brokenness, but we live where there's a redeemer. And I want you to see, first of all, in this story that God is sovereign in all the affairs of life, including the hard times. We see that in chapter 1. God is sovereign over all the affairs of our lives, and Ruth's life, and May- Naomi's life, and Elimelech's life. He is he is in sovereign control over a man named Boaz that we're going to be introduced to in chapter 2. He is sovereign. He, sovereignty means he is in absolute control. A sovereign king is one who can make a decree, and that decree is fulfilled. He can do this, and that will be fulfilled. You, and God is that way in all things. And so... Naomi is not inaccurate when he said, the Lord has brought this calamity upon her. She is not inaccurate in saying that, but she does not yet have the hope to see that in the midst of that calamity, God is going to work. God is going to work. God is sovereign in this chapter in bringing a famine in the land, in Bethlehem, ending the famine, of bringing death to these people, bringing emptiness to Naomi. We don't know if it was because of sin, and sometimes it's there's this type of sin and discipline. There's discipline and punishment that God brings in, in these circumstances, but not all the time. Quite often it is God is just doing things that we will not know until later on. And it's not because of sin or judgment in any type of way. But God has just allowed it for His purposes, and someday... We will thank Him someday. But secondly, we see God's grace still shines in the deepest darkness. That's where I want us to land here tonight, as we finish. God's grace still shines through in the deepest darkness. I, I want and I hope those this morning who are feeling it is the clouds just surround you and they overwhelm you. Where everything is tainted by sorrow or hurt and loss. Where you look around and you feel anxiety and pain. God's Word teaches us that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of the deepest darkness god's grace still shines through and we see that and we see that at christmas time the roman empire had control of all of israel god said he was going to someday bring a king a messiah who was going to deliver his people from their sins and for free and bring them freedom and rescue and restore the world he was going to actually do more than that we find he was actually going to do what he promised to Abraham, the father Abraham, and say, "I am going to bring all the nations, and I'm going to make them my people." And through Abraham's seed, all the nations will be blessed in the midst of a dark, dark world, a world where the leaders of that empire were crushing people, where crushing, were crushing sl- their slaves abounded all over the world. More people were slaves than free where children were being abused and killed, women abused and killed. Men were treated either as slaves or property of the empire. And God sends a light, the light of the world, into darkness. And in this story, we find God bringing strange a strange redeemer in chapter 1 that no Jew would ever imagine God do do it this way a Moabite woman A, a woman who is a widow a woman who couldn't bear children she clings to Naomi because she has faith in her great a great God that she learned from Naomi and there is grace that shines through this chapter in three forms just hear this first through the form of deep friendship. However this happened over those 10 years plus something happened in Ruth's heart and life and I would say it must have happened in some way through friendship and Ruth had a relationship with her mother-in-law and a relationship with this family and in the through relationship and eventually the marriage relationship she realized that I'm gonna abandon everything to cling to God. And I think there's a truth in this story about friendship. The main purpose of these chapters aren't friendship, but friendship is a sub-theme. And I think there's an application here. The way God works at this church and works through grace and works God's work in the life of a church and among His people to bring spiritual growth and grace is through friendships. And, And take note of that. Thank God for the friendships you've had. And pray... God, help me to be a good friend to the one who's hurting. Help me to now start building and investing in people's lives. I need the friendships, the friendships that I think brought brought Ruth to God. And now brings Naomi out of despair. We'll see in chapter 2 through 4 how God uses grace to come through the form of a friend. Yes, a daughter-in-law. Yes, a mother-in-law. But friend nonetheless the grace of God shining through friendship. But secondly, we see the grace of God that's coming through and is breaking through cultural barriers. We are are not Middle Easterners. And we are also in a a non-traditional culture. A traditional culture... We we emphasize individualism now and appearance and our physique and what people will think of us and all of that... They did too in some ways, but it was in different categories. They, a traditional culture, carried cared about the name and about honor and carrying on, passing on the name. And we find here, grace overcoming those cultural barriers so much so that Ruth looks at Naomi and says, "I'm following you because your God overcomes all cultural barriers. Your God is so much better than security at home. Your God." overcomes my need to be married because with my that God, I have more than any husband or any spouse. Any, anything that brought significance to Ruth, Ruth said, God makes up for all of it. As he, She abandons her old, old way of life and that's the third grace shining through. The grace that led to absolute devotion. Ruth absolutely leaves all. And says, your God will be my God. And then she, he, she invokes the name of Yahweh. May the Lord do to me and judge me greatly if anything but death separates the two of us. And we find the oft hidden but continuous love of God here in the story. Now as we close, as we close and you reflect on man, God is sovereign. But life hurts. It stinks sometimes. It, the, the circumstances that flood through my life is just hurtful. It's full of pain and suffering. And you might say, God, I, I see a redeemer here. We're going to bring out these redeemer themes in the next few weeks. I see a redeemer and I want to, you might go, I, I do want to have that faith that we find in Ruth because it is a faith that we see that we'll see in chapter two. Ruth's faith in God. But here's what you need to see before anything. Before you can ever have the grace-filled friendship and be that type of friend to someone else, before you can ever overcome cultural obstacles or absolutes and say, God, you're everything, and give that absolute devotion to God, you must realize, there is a Redeemer that was greater than Ruth that did everything for you. There, Ruth left her camp to go to be with the suffering Naomi. Jesus left the camp. In Hebrews 13, he left the camp, leaving and taking despi- being despised and ashamed, and he did it so that you would be accepted. You need to accept that once again. And if you've accepted it, rejoice in it. You need to accept the, you need to accept the one, Jesus, who did, didn't like, like Ruth say, if I will not let anything separate us but death. Jesus said, I'm not going to let death separate you from me. And I'm going to do that at a great, great cost. Ruth paid a great cost at that moment in devotion to Naomi, in devotion to her God, because she knew that God was worth it. And Jesus paid a great cost by laying down His life for you and for me, because the praise of the Father was worth it to Him. In revealing God's love for you, there is no hope that we have to face the frowning circumstances of our life, that bitter pill, comes into our life, or the, the good life that is absent from the greatness of God and therefore is not good at all, apart from looking to the Redeemer. It doesn't happen by first imitating Ruth. It's first, it starts by saying, I could never be like Ruth. I could never be like anything like that, but I'm glad that someone was for me, and I receive him. By faith, once again, I, I've been saved, and I keep trusting in Him. Or I haven't been saved, God. I come and receive You today, this Christmas season, and I believe in You for eternal life. You are my, You are the rudder for everything. You are the one that that I can then say, yes. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life will show the body they may kill, but God, You are alive. You may slay me, but You are my Redeemer, and I will live again to look to the Redeemer. Look to the Redeemer that's foreshadowed in Ruth and seen in the Son and, in fact, the great-grandson of Ruth who then carries on the line. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we continue on in this, I pray that You'd be moving in our hearts. You'd be moving in our hearts to believe and love the gospel of Jesus Christ in a greater way. God, do, do gospel growth in this church grow the gospel in our hearts, grow the gospel outwardly to people that have not received it yet. I pray that as we look at this Ruth, you bring comfort to those this morning by helping them look to their Redeemer and find grace. God, thank you that someday you will wipe away all tears and all our grieving will be as though it's none when we see the end and we experience your absolute, Oh, God, I pray this morning that you bring peace, though, in a way. I pray for those this morning that are, are suffering a loss of a spouse or a loss of a relationship or a loss of health and or a loss of something so deep in their lives. I pray for those that are anxious about possible losses. I pray for those this morning that just feel maybe just, just blah. the Lord and I pray that you would draw God this morning, draw young ones draw parents and fathers fathers to their children and children to their parents, I pray that you would God this morning do a work in feeding and blessing us, God thank you for your word keep using it, keep using it until you come and I pray this as we sing in Christ alone who is our rock, who is our fortress, who is our righteousness, no condemnation but it is ours because of him Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's. Start. Okay, as we close, if I can have all the men's attention, women, you can continue praying. Um, it's not in the bulletin, but we are meeting together this Saturday at eight AM for breakfast, and we'll be talking about biblical manhood and what God has called us to do, as well as enjoy breakfast and fellowship together. And I hope you can come and join me next Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Here is the benediction. And join us tonight at 6 o'clock for a meal and for Carolyn. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city to come. Through Him, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name and do not neglect to do good. And to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you agree, would you say, Amen? Amen. You are dismissed.